You are now looped into the world of BAM. Huh? Professional? Professional enough? Uh, came a long way two weeks ago. I was singing Who Let the Tits Out this week. Look at this. It can almost be a thing. It can almost be a good intro. Hi, I'm Maya and I'm most definitely not a professional human being. Welcome to this podcast. It's called By All Means Necessary. And life? What is life right now? <laughs> Are we out of lockdown? Are we in lockdown? F- uh, the fuck do I know? I'm not WH who? I'm very knowledgeable about today's topic though, because... Uh, a boy, you are in for a long one. I can tell you that already. Don't, don't drop this. Don't just stop listening now because I said that. Don't, don't do it. <laughs> Stick with me. It's a long but worth your while, okay? It's such a fucking amazing story. I don't know if I told you about this, by the way. I kind of lost my plot about what I tell you on this podcast and what I share with you. But I am listening to the audiobook, well, among others, of Sherlock Holmes. So, like, read by Stephen Fry. You know, so all of the compilations, all of the stories, and like sometimes, you know, I get kind of my blood boiling because of how sexist Sherlock Holmes was at times. Or just those deductions, you know, there's this one where it's like, oh, a hat of a man was dusty, and then he just, you know, makes those like bullshit deductions that nobody else understands. And he just told this freaking client that, oh, the woman stopped loving him, and everybody's like, the fuck? Like, how could you deduct that? It's like, oh, well, the hat was dusty. So the woman who lets the guy get out of the house all dusty, it must mean that she doesn't love him. Chill. Okay, Sherlock? Chill. Had too much coke for one day. The fact that everybody neglects. So coke addict. We all read and love stories by a freaking coke addict. So yeah, I just had to relieve that of my soul, you know. It's, it's a great piece of work. Arthur Conan Doyle one of the most epic writers, although he was Looney Tunes himself. I covered him a bit on Agatha Christie Disappearance Story, you know, it's one of the episodes that I named Find Someone You Can Use. It's very easy to find, just scroll down the library. But yeah, they can be so fucking sexist, or it's just the visions that they had for women back then. Or I'm also, because as I told you, I'm um, listening to Phoebe Reads a Mystery, so she is reading another Agatha book, and it's Murder on the Links. I listened to that book already, but again, that book has this idea where a woman could not be into true crime, and the man is just like, oh, well, yeah, I'm a man, I can be into this, and the woman is like, so what, because I'm a woman, you, you know, you need to have these archaic opinions of me. So, yeah, guess what, people in the early 1900s were fucking sexist, okay? I just had to get that off my chest. Today's story is nothing about that, it's yet another scam. What you probably know about this story is that it's a festival that never happened. That people bought the tickets, appeared there, you know, that they were scammed out of it, that Jarul promoted it, and that they never got the refund, basically. But this story is so, so much more. Also, out of everything that I have researched, just because this is the basic knowledge that I had when I was going into it as well, probably one of the most interesting things to research. Expect comparisons between this and customer service jobs and, you know, any other startup that I have worked for, just because this is why it's the most fascinating research for me, because I can relate to it so much, because I work for places with this kind of ideology and this kind of mentality of the CEO and maybe still work for, you know, a couple... (laughs) So I felt like I felt so many things in this story on my skin. So I'm gonna paint this shit for you, okay? You're gonna be there. You're gonna be in fucking Bahamas. Let's dive the fuck in. 
In 2017, over 5,000 tickets sold from $500 to $12,000 to the festival goers to get to go to the island in Bahamas only to find out that the festival isn't taking place. The founder of Fire Media, Billy McFarland, conducted one of the biggest modern-day frauds, only to leave investors, festival goers, his company employees, and Bahamian workers scammed out of more than $126 million. We have our fraudster, we know the crime. What were his motives? Now, what I need you to do is picture this. Let's play picture this. Whether you're into festivals or you're just into freaking holidays, or you're just into beach or you're just into flying, you know, you can relate to one or the other part of this. So picture yourself. Spring 2017. April. What the fuck were you doing? I was stuck in the first full-time job after uni. That was like the worst for my fucking mental health. Working like 50 plus hours a week, commuting the fuck knows how many more, literally having no time on my hands for anything else. So I could use a fucking holiday. Where were you? What were you doing in April 2017? Let's picture you were at a Pablo Escobar's private island. Well, actually kind of like the next island to it because, well, we'll get to that. You flew from Miami, you flew from London, wherever the fuck, well, these people mostly flew from Miami, to Exuman International Airport. You landed in the morning and then you kind of saw, you know, like social media ruining our lives. You immediately checked your phone and you saw that one of the groups that was supposed to perform, Blink-182, published a tweet that they can't actually perform at this festival, saying that they're not confident that they would have what they need to perform to, you know, the standard. So you're kind of like, okay, what does that mean? I mean, they're not saying it's cancelled, they're not saying, you know, that it's in shambles, it's still cool. So, you know, you meet up other people, you make friends, you know, you chat with your friends like that you came with, it's gonna be a freaking amazing weekend. You have everything arranged, there's transport from the airport to the resort, it's gonna be such a luxurious holiday, <laughs> Instagram is gonna be popping, your friends are gonna be so jealous, this is exactly why you're here, to show that bitch from work that you earned your money and you saved it up for this freaking holiday. And then you all kind of realize that um, there's no luxurious transport to the location, you are all hopping onto a school bus. The school bus driver is like, hey, surprise, surprise, we're actually going to a secondary location. But look at me, I have so much booze for you. Let's just chug like straight up vodka from the freaking bottle until you're so lost and disoriented in the middle of nowhere, not knowing what the fuck is going on. Also, you kind of uh, left your luggage behind. Well, it went into this huge ass truck. Again, super luxurious. It's like a Coca-Cola commercial truck, you know, but, you know, just white and a random ass truck. You know, perfect, luxurious VIP service. Your luggage is coming separately from you. Amazing. What you don't see because you're just blackout drunk on this bus that then transported you to this random ass location, which is, again, just by the beach, but there's no campsite, there's no nothing. There's just, like, a tent to sit under and there's just more booze for you to get drunk and oblivious. What you're not aware of is that meanwhile, 
at the campsite where the actual festival is to take place, they're still trying to scrape these pieces together. And Billy and the rest of the crew are desperately trying to find out which one of the influencers has arrived and to get them accommodation. Now this totally sounds legit, like, you know, every freaking festival does these last minute bits where they try to build your house out of nothing. This is just common practice for all the professional people behind festivals. We just don't know their secrets, we just don't know their tricks. Now everybody's kind of getting impatient at this secondary location, they're like, the fuck, this festival was about to start, like literally, like where the performance is, we are here for, you know, some epic times, like why are we stuck here? So they hop back onto the school buses. And this school bus driver is my hero. He just waited for this moment for fucking months, okay? He's like this guy from fucking Bahamas who was just observing all of this. He was like, my time will come. So he is lighting these people up, telling them that they should really wait to see what they're getting themselves into as he drives them into the campsite. Now, during the fire festival documentary that's on Netflix, there's these freaking influencers and, you know, just people that had money to afford to actually go to this festival. And they're just commenting on this, being like, this is the last thing you want to hear. A bus driver just being like, oh, you can't wait to see what you're getting yourself into. Which sounds funny, because I'm hilarious. <laughs> but just imagine yourself in that situation. You're in the country you have never been to. You don't know where the fuck you're going. You're on a school bus, wasted. And the driver is just like, ooh, look at this. You might as well end up hostages. Like... Do you fuck knows what's going on for your head? That would be what would be going on for mine, okay? As the bus is approaching um, the actual campsite, obviously cameras are in the air, people are recording all of this, and the state of the campsite becomes very much apparent. Their accommodation, you know, all the luxurious stuff that was advertised is actually just scattered disaster relief tents with just mattresses inside and not just that but these mattresses have been soaked because literally the evening before this festival they just hit a freaking pour down of rain the rain just started to pour and pour throughout the whole night of course it's not just that the lighting is the creepiest thing that i have seen on these things there's literally it's not like stage lights nothing it's just like what they had from like street lights and that's the only thing like illuminating the whole space so it becomes apparent this is not actually taking place you know there's like a tent with a big table where they kind of feed you these things that look like between meal deals and like a canteen at uni there was that like viral picture of this cheese sandwich which is just triangles of bread and then just cheese on top of them and some lettuce on the side but if you're me you're looking into this and being like let's make the best out of this situation so you're like let's go swim into the ocean but they warn you you can't actually swim into the ocean first of all it's dark it's like fucking pitch dark but also there are sharks in the fucking ocean what do you think? You just went to the island and you can go swim in the freaking ocean? No, Instagrammer. If you by any chance, you know, if your bladder kind of can't resist the alcohol and you want to piss, of course you have luxurious freaking portable potties, you know, like fucking Glastonbury Festival. Now, there is a one-liner that I love the most out of this whole fucking thing. There's this girl that just goes super dramatic and just says, they basically abducted us. And it's just my favorite thing throughout this whole research. <laughs> okay, I know this is now very dramatic and you're very upset, you know, because this is clearly happening to you directly right now in the time machine where you went to 2017. But, but, hear me out. How cool would this be as a spin-off to Lost? 
It's like an experiment. You get a bunch of privileged individuals to try and survive in like the third world country conditions. It just screams of like a social experiment. Everybody failed. You'll realize throughout the story there was nothing promising them that anything has been built or sorted out for them to come into this luxurious environment that they have seen on these advertisements that have been released a couple of months before. So now most people take the option to go back to the airport. They just take these cool buses and they're like, fuck this shit, I'm out of here, it's pitch dark. And at least the airport will have like lights. But a lot of them choose to participate in this experiment and this becomes like something in between Hunger Games and Lord of the Flies. By the way, great books, trilogy and a book. Read both, read both. Lord of the Flies, God, this is the only thing that they made me read in school that I actually fucking thoroughly enjoyed. Again, signs, red flags were everywhere that I will be really deeply, truly fucked up and into true crime. But Lord of the Flies is the shit. It's so morbid. Also, if you watch a movie, I don't know if there's a newer version, but I watched like a really old version of the movie as well as like when reading the book, you know, I immerse myself fully. If there's a movie and it's remotely good, I'll watch it. This is, I swear it was like black and white. And it's equally eerie. I like to just picture everything and then ruin it myself by have somebody else picture it. But here, it doesn't even ruin it. Also, what the fuck is up by uh, book covers having like pictures of the actors on the front cover after the movies have been released. I'm sorry, don't destroy the fucking image that I had in the first place. Something else that nobody knew about me, I really enjoyed Nicholas Sparks books before all of the movies were released or any of the movies were released. And then, you know, they put like freaking Rachel Adams or whatever her name is on the cover of the notebook or one of those books. And I was like, this is not it. I I don't want to participate in this. (laughs) I imagine my own fucking characters. Except for Michael B. Jordan on Just Mercy. I I, I can accept that. I can live with that. (laughs) If you're not in the batch of people that are going back and forth, you know, with this, that are on this school bus going to the airport, you are one of the people who is trying to fight for a mattress, trying to fight for like any sort of accommodation, a tent, to get some sleep overnight and then think what the fuck you're gonna do tomorrow. And if anything, because again, this is a great idea, if anything came for free, it was alcohol, it was tequila, because yeah, you you want to forget, you don't want to remember, they don't want you to remember this the next day. There's footage of people either trying to get mattresses off each other, literally fighting, because, as as you guessed, there's many more guests that have shown up that they had accommodation, you know, that they had mattresses. So, uh, you do the math. Some of them are throwing these mattresses in the ocean, they're like, yep, it's already wet, fuck it, let's just float on them. Some people were, like, making fire and trying to get themselves warm at least for the night. And if you think that that's taking the piss, people didn't just pay for, like, the flights and the tickets and all of these packages. No, no, no. They had bracelets. Now you're like, okay, cool, it's a cashless event. They're using, you know, some digital bracelets to pay for food and drinks, whatever. Well, you guessed it, these bracelets didn't matter. Like, the Wi-Fi connection, just the whole island barely had any freaking, like, internet connection. Because you're in the middle of nowhere, if you really think about it. Of course, they didn't, like, actually have any technology to take some payments from these bracelets that they put hundreds and thousands of dollars on. There was no extra, like, food experiences, anything that you could top up the bracelets with. Well, they told you to do it. So, either that evening or the next morning, people literally were just at the airport. Even at the airport, they had, like, this 
traumatizing experience where basically the staff at the airport kind of locked them in because they didn't have like staff there overnight so they kind of like locked them into this one room where there was no access to the toilet or the drinking water so like somebody collapsed and people were just there waiting for the plane and the flights have been postponed until 1 30 a.m and this this plane actually kind of acted like a rescue mission plane because he would literally trans- be packed with passengers transport them back to Miami and then would ret- return from Miami straight to Bahamas for the rest of the attendees so now you're back home you're safe you have like the worst hangover but you still remember you vividly remember the trauma and you're like okay okay get, get, let me get my refund what you get next day though is an email that starts with like due to unforeseen circumstances now this is that moment at friends that where joey gets like a job rejection and it starts with like unfortunately and he just looks up and he's like what like go on read read through it let me know what it says so uh the ceo of fire media and the organizer of this whole festival billy mcfarland he actually has the audacity to go and say that this was um, you know cancelled due to the flood he goes into the classic passing blame mode where he blames this on the island's infrastructure. Again, so ship out. He promises people he's gonna give them a full refund and a ticket to the next year's festival where you're like, mm, debatable. Do I wanna come to your next year's festival? Are you the one organizing it? Can we please change the organizer, please? So you read that and you're pissed off. We're like, okay, cool. I'm gonna get the refund and whatever. That ticket to the festival will not return to. It's so chill. Now, what's not chill is life for the people that are still on this island, on Great Exuma. All of the contractors that were building everything, they were working 18-hour shifts a day, weren't paid, so uh, they become kind of uh, stalkerishly chasing everybody else involved. So they're chasing everybody, either who was close to Billy, Billy himself, there is this guy. If you watch the Fire Festival documentary, you know Andy King, who was working close to Billy. And he actually said he had to hide behind a bush for a ride to come. And then, like, he kind of dunked in the back seat of the car and was just like, yeah, just get me off this island, get me off into the another city. Because nobody was just safe, because everybody was after the money. They slaved themselves for, like, months for this. And guess what? Billy is nowhere to be found. The other co-founder of this event, Jarul, tweeted out. This is, again, one of the best tweets that I have read. <laughs> I, too, was hustled, scammed, bamboozled, hoodwinked, led astray. <laughs> Yet again, Jarul, like, he just googled, like, he just googled scam synonyms into Google and then just put all the scams. He was like, listen, this was definitely not a fraud. I was. It's like when you try to complete your freaking dissertation and, you know, you just miss a couple of words that that 10k, like, listen, I just add some synonyms to this shit. As this is all over the media by now, also investors have picked up that this festival now never happened and they have invested money into it. They sue Fire Media. He gets six federal and four individual lawsuits. It comes to light that he falsified documents showing millions in income from talent bookings, so from the bookings to perform at the festival. He falsified documents to show that he had 2.5 millions in shares and in reality it was just $15,000 in shares. So you're probably guessing, like, prison sentence is inevitable for this guy. What about the others? Well, Jarul got squad free. None of the people promoting the event, so like all of the influences and the models got charged. An independent contractor that worked with McFarland and had a role in this scam agreed to deal with the SEC. So they agreed to pay 35k civil penalty and to a seven-year ban on him serving as the director or the officer of any public company. 
and I hate going back to Jarul, but this guy not just didn't get charged, but he didn't get like, this kind of ban either. So he actually went on to create a new company that's called Icon. It's self-described as a celebrity entertainment book and concierge service. Again, how familiar does this sound? In the way that Jarul describes this in an interview, he says it's very different, but it is similar. <laughs> So this is not a selling point, Jarul. Any similarities here are not good, no good. Now my favorite character in this whole documentary is this woman from Bahamas. She's called Marianne Roll. She was a caterer. She literally fed all of these contractors there for free. Then she fed these attendees for free again. Like he scammed her out of her life savings of like 50k. But luckily, everybody else loved her as much as I did, so she had like a GoFundMe page, and people have actually managed to raise like over 100k to pay her back. But I mean, how frightening it is, because like then everybody's chasing everybody who was involved, so like she has been chased by the contractors or by anybody else for them to get anything out of it. Because you know, when the people from, when the employees from Fire Media skedaddled, when Bill is nowhere to be found, of course, you're gonna chase anybody. Anybody you know that was involved. So we move to court, and McFarland obviously pleads guilty, you know, he knows he's guilty. But he goes out on bail. Who the fuck posts bail for these people? Because he's literally broke bankrupt, like, how does he have money to post bail? Anyways, he does. And this is yet again such a fucking fascinating story of what he does while he's on bail. She's literally yet another private jet flight risk. He starts a new company. <laughs> From his living room, though, and with a couple of other people that are questionable characters. But he literally just, this is also shown in the documentary, he just gets this salesman and they advertise tickets to luxurious fashion shows. Stuff like Super Bowl, VIP access to Victoria's Secret show, um, like meet and greet with Taylor Swift. And here, even like a quick Google search again can tell you that those tickets are bogus. Like Taylor Swift is apparently famous for not doing meet and greets. Victoria's Secret at that point didn't even have like a lineup. Super Bowl tickets weren't even out. So it was just like very obvious that somebody's again trying to scam. But they're literally harassing people. And who are they harassing? Well, the exact same mailing list with the fire festival attendees. And they're getting spammed. It's literally like, no, 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 you don't get a refund. But guess what? Spend more money here. And because they are so persistent and they manage this like really great salesman that he hires, like who literally keeps calling people up and trying to convince them to again give them money, they manage to get 15 people to give them around $100,000. Now this for me kind of defines who this guy is because you know the way the serial killers just can't fucking stop and like as soon as they're released or as soon as they get a fucking chance like they just go into a freaking serial killer mode they just can't control themselves. This is freaking Billy it's like a day out of prison like let's do this again let's scam again. So of course people report this again his bail gets revoked it's like fuck this guy. His defense for the judge to reduce his sentence from 20 years is that he's bipolar. Nobody, I'm not making fun of people who are bipolar, but it's just like, this didn't come out at any point until now. I don't know if this worked, but he did get the sentence reduced to six years and then he has to pay 26 million in restitution. So of course, guess what happened in 2020? Coronavirus, we're living it, yay. So as you know, like Takashi69, you know, got out due to his asthma and, you know, his risk of coronavirus. Billy McFarland, unfortunately, did not, but he did appeal. 
And it's kind of speculated whether he was rejected just because some people said, like, not today, Satan. Or because they actually found a pen with a USB recording device inside and he just denied knowing about it. But, like, clearly somebody smuggled him, like, freaking USB for some reason in prison. Again, what does he want to do? What does this USB contain? Does he want to scam from prison? Well, the prosecutors say that he actually brought this recording device, so USB recording device into jail because he's motivated by his desire to write a self-reflection book. There's no self-reflection. You just want to profit out of this even more somehow. Go self-reflect by actually figuring out how you're gonna pay people in restitution because you have, what, 26 million to pay people in. You have to be born with a mindset like this. You have to be born, like, with a mindset of just having this fucking drive without any proper, like, even skills. Just, like, have this crazy drive and just something drives you. Something fucking drives you. And if you have fucking violent childhood, then it drives you to kill in series. And um, if you have semi-normal childhood when you're from a sort of like affluent background, then it just drives you to scam. That's it. Fuck it. That's it. Close the case. Just kidding. Just kidding. We're gonna go into uh, details on his crime and how did this fire festival actually come about? How the fuck did they convince people to get there? How did they convince people to invest? How did they convince people to work for them? How did they find this fucking island? weird to think that actually Fire Festival came from the idea to promote the app that they had, so the Fire Media app. It's like in all of these camera stories that I have covered for this month, you kind of learn that the trick is knowing when to stop and not just going too far without any, you know, real degree in certain areas or, you know, real specialism. So, of course, for him to do this and expand this way, he had to lie to the bunch of investors. Or as he placed it, he was misrepresenting to investors, saying that Fire Media was already worth at least 90 million. And he said he sold the previous company that he has founded for 40 million. So, of course, if you sell people dreams, you know, and if you know how to falsify documents, they're gonna buy it. Once they manage to sell these dreams to the investors, they have immediately advertised ticket packages. And what a better way to have the website than advertise all of this than have a bunch of models on a random island in Bahamas, have a photo shoot acting like, you know, they're all skinny and having fun and uh, emphasis on very skinny. Kendall Jenner has actually been paid like 250k for a single free game post to promote the festival. Then Hadid sisters were there, Alessandra Ambrosi, all of these like really famous models. Of course, if models who have millions of followers on their Instagram see a hashtag, they're gonna go check it out and buy these ticket packages. The first problem represents itself then, because this was, as I mentioned, a different island. And they, in those commercials, advertised it as the Pablo Escobar's island. And apparently nobody should uh, be able to legally advertise it as such. So they were immediately told by the people there that they can't actually rent that island in the first place. Like, this winds me up, okay? Pablo Escobar, put some respect to his name, okay? He had a picture in front of a White House when, like, every single fucking national force and international force was looking for this guy. Put some respect to his name, Billy. You can't just use his name in the advertisement. Like, do you have a permit? Do you you wanna die, Billy? (laughs) Too big of a fish. Too big of an ego. Okay, cool. We need to look for another island. 
another problem poses itself immediately because this guy never organized an event. So he literally started ringing companies and agencies and when they tell him that the cost of this kind of event size and everything, taking everything into consideration, is gonna be about 20 million dollars, he turns it down and literally turns to Google. So now he's like, okay, cool, at least, at least. I googled in the meantime and I found this island close by, it's called Great Exuma, it sounds great, equally nice, you know, close enough, they're just gonna tell people to come to that island instead. Cool, 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 cool. The problem is, a thousand people can't even fit into this island and they, as I mentioned, have just sold like around 5k tickets. Now he hires a guy at Bahamas who is like infrastructure specialist, whatever, to figure out how many like boats they need close by to like actually fit all of these people on the island or like around the island. And this guy's just like, what the fuck are you on about? Like, there are sharks in the ocean, like, you need to fit people on the island, this island just doesn't have enough capacity. Also, he tries to actually stay in this kind of situation that they have described on the website, so in one of those tents, but he literally said like it was hell due to mosquitoes, like lack of air conditioning, it was extremely humid, extremely hot, and he just advises the fire board and like everybody against those tents, and of course, as soon as he did that, he wasn't part of this project any longer. And as we are going to see Billy say a couple of times, this is when he told the guy, we're not a problem-focused group, we are the solutions-orientated group. Okay, bullshit, classic sociopath CEO bullshit. I worked on this, oh god, this is such a like, I, I, this is the company I didn't even have on my CV, okay? I worked with like a bunch of people who were like, yeah, oh, we are influencers, you know, we're all this great. Basically, I use their app, it's like one of those takeaway coffee apps put like a Twitter post or whatever and then we got in touch I was like yeah I wouldn't mind like interning you know doing a couple of hours a week little did I know what the fuck I was getting myself into <laughs> it was just a bunch of freaking people that thought like they were too good they thought they were like the shit and they were all friends don't start to start out with like a bunch of your best closest friends you're just gonna feed each other's egos and not actually get any shit done I immediately like so through it I was like this company just isn't as great Mostly because I see flaws in every fucking company I work for, but I was like, this company is not gonna survive, it just doesn't make sense, and I suck at math, and I see that it's just not going well. And it's that kind of environment where they, you know, send you motivational quotes in the morning, and you know, they're like, oh yeah, we are the solutions orientated, I'm like, but what does that really mean? Like, on paper, like, how, how are we gonna fix this? How are we gonna get, like, these glitches out of this fucking app so it's actually usable? Oh, you don't know. Oh, you don't have the money for it, but then how? The fuck? Also, that same place shared this exact same attitude that Billy and Josh shared. Because they were like, oh yeah, we're mixing tech talent and hip-hop. You know, our glowing bios work for ourselves. I'm like, no, you actually need to prove that you can organize this. Like, you never organized a fucking event before. I was super chill and relaxed when I wrote this script. Look at this script. The CEO is renowned for sitting on the tallest toilet throne. I can sell toilet paper to those that just used it. I have years of experience working with other shitters, creating the community of people who take the best dumps in town. 
But you get what I mean. It's those freaking people that are like, oh, I mean, I have worked for this company, you know, I was such a big deal there, and you're like, no, you're literally mediocre little shit. You just know how to talk. It's like, oh, I'm like, from this experience, this is what I can offer you. Shivers. Shivers. How many people have I worked that are like this? Shivers. Now let's go in reverse a bit, you know, to make it dramatic. So now we are at T minus six weeks. This is the moment where I would be like, okay, Billy, you had a choice here. Had you made the correct choice, I would actually maybe even say that I would have a respect. If I was an, an attendee, you know, receiving an email, being like, so sorry, guys, we couldn't actually deliver, you know, we are postponing this festival, whatever, whatever. Obviously, what that would mean, though, is that everybody would realize he's a scam six weeks earlier, and then he would go to prison six weeks earlier. So this didn't really work for him as a concept. But again, I'm just saying, like, had he done this then, probably, actually, like, if he owned up to it, he would have gotten even less years than the miserable amount of time that he actually got in prison. And people might still actually have respect for him to, like, believe him. Possibly he would be able to be, like, CEO or the officer of the company as well in the future. But no, this is not the story. Instead, he just had this quote which said, like, let's just do it and be legends. And this is the moment you realize, like, the fuck is he on about? What is be legends? Please define the term. Meanwhile, in this documentary, he is looking like he has alcohol problem. Literally, all of the shots, like, when this festival is preparing, like, the stress is taking a toll on him. He's walking with a bottle. He aged like shitan. He got, like, man boobs. He was 25 at the time. He's actually only a year older than me. I put stress and booze really turn your average Joe to middle-aged Joe. No, sorry, this is... I have been in the weirdest mood where I wrote this script. This is the chillest script of all times. Oh, this script is getting serious. It says, before explaining the other island saga, let's break down Fire Media and Fire Festival in a typical startup style. They operated as if two separate entities. You tell them, Maya, you tell people they can't communicate in startups. So... That is pretty much it. Like, Fire Media had, like, this, you know, um, very much, like, chill open space offices where they were all working themselves for fucking 18 plus hours a day, just, you know, on their laptops, trying to get this going, you know, designers, different producers, like, software developers for the app, people in marketing working on these commercials. And then, again, like, you can really see from the commercials and obviously from what people really actually got to see how these two things did not correlate. It was like two freaking different companies. And people in the department people who worked on these advertisements actually said like they had no fucking idea how this will actually look like. It was just like, oh yeah, make it great for the commercials. And of course it was in these offices of Fire Media where he'd meet up with investors explaining these VIP passes, you know, wristbands, to get another this is the direct quote. So he's gonna introduce these wristbands to get another two, three, four, five million dollars. Like I've been practicing counting, like, it's like, it's like petty change. It's like, oh yeah, two, three, four, five pence. This is millions of dollars you're talking about. Surely you should do some forecast and be like, okay, how much we can realistically actually get extra from these response? No, this was just yet another addition to get any fucking money, to make anything, any of this actually real. Are you following? Okay, cool. I fucking love this story. Anyways, it's so depressing and I love it. So they found Great Exuma, yeah? This place... First of all, a lot of places on this island are actually secluded. It's like, do not pass, kind of secluded. It has no infrastructure. 
they actually even have to create a beach to look like a beach because it's like pebbles, it's this unwalkable fucking beach. They have to bring this sand to make this even look like a beach. This is what I'm talking about. It's like starting from zero. It's six weeks until the festival. Again, he hires an infrastructure guy and this guy is like, okay, cool, this is doable, but we need at least until November to do it. So, of course, for the solution-orientated person, this is not good enough. So this infrastructure guy tells them that the influencers are going to have to sleep in tents because they can't physically build the villas that they have promised, like with these fucking rooms, by spring. One month away. This is when by all means necessary really comes into play. Because they realize that there's nothing done and everybody but the executive board wants to postpone this, but the execs say, no, it's going to happen by all means necessary. And let's just organize a great posh dinner to celebrate this delusion. And this is when the most famous freaking quote comes into play. Started by Jarul and finished off by Billy McFarland, which is Living like movie stars, parting like rock stars, and fucking like porn stars. You just know you are within a very professional bunch. T minus 20 days. This is when firek.com comes up. And this is like a website that has been clearly created by somebody working close within. So like somebody from the company. It's a website that's exposing actual pictures of the campsite, it's exposing actual conditions. So he has a witch hunt meeting. And everybody's like, well, this is good. Like, just show people what this is really going to be like. Because by then, you guessed it, the social media has actually just been like rolling those pictures, those same first advertisement pictures. They have just been like showing them again and again to people. So there's no like new material, nothing like, oh, this is what you're actually coming into. T minus 17 days. This is when the attendees get an email. And now they realize that they don't have just to pay for the ticket and the package that they have chosen. They have to load some money onto the wristband. And not just that, but it's like that kind of antagonizing tone of voice, which is like, hey, there are wireless issues, you know, on the island, like, this is a cash-free event, like, you need to load the money. And usually, um, our customers load uh, between, like, start from, I don't know, $3,000. So you're like, okay, cool, and then at least I need like $3,000 to load onto this to be able to freaking survive. And again, people don't see red flags. They're like, nope, this is still legit. It's still fine. It's fine. I can pay for this. T minus 10 days. This is when now, even though they have these freaking tents that look like shit, 350 people still have nowhere to stay. People haven't been paid that have been working there. Articles starting popping up on the internet saying that there are troubles. And Billy is acting fucking full-on irrational. He is like under stress, he can't cope. He put this on himself, but hey. So he just fired the catering company. Well, basically they were supposed to be paid 6 million, but Billy only had 1 million to pay them. And this, if anything, is really my prime time to shine because this is when people start asking questions on the socials because they realize there's no like FAQs, there's no like commonly asked questions freaking answered anywhere like, hey, are we gonna have chargers in the tents? Or like, hey, what's the walking distance from here to there? Like, basic, where's the map of the fucking festival? Stage by stage, where are any pictures? As every legit company, the marketing asks Billy, like, what the fuck do we do? What he does? Okay, there's two worst things in customer service that you can do. You guessed it, what they do is they delete all of the negative comments. They just leave the positive shit. That'll solve everything. Yep, that's right. 
the other worst fucking thing that you could do that I have seen like that I have worked for a company that did it and then like I've seen it done once again it's like when you're overwhelmed with like the tickets that you have in your freaking inbox in customer service and then you just send like a follow-up email which is like hey if your issue hasn't been resolved yet please just respond to this email and you're like no as a customer like yeah it hasn't been freaking resolved is the worst thing for the retention of the customers because you can bet you have lost at least 30 percent this is also when this legendary fucking quote from andy king comes on the show he almost sucked dick for the festival goers to have some drinking water guys you know the sacrifice that this guy has had The story behind this is basically, obviously they needed drinking water, you know. Again, Billy didn't have enough money to pay for it, so he sent one of his employees, who was gay, and the guy that was to provide the water was gay as well, and he was like, listen, I need to count on you, and this guy was like, I was prepared, I was prepared to suck a dick, they just needed drinking water. So basically the guy just signed off on it, and we're like, yeah, just wired us this amount of money, and was like, yep, sure, sure, they haven't have to suck a dick, it's great. This is also when, like, solving all of these problems for Billy kind of becomes enabling him to be, like, what he really was. Because if every single person there was just to be like, no, fuck you, this is not going to work, why are we even trying, why are we wasting our time, we're clearly not getting paid either. He would have nobody, it's like one person against everybody else, but this is when everybody just kind of went along and was just enabling this monster. Not just that, but there's, like, this sort of dialogue with one of the construction workers and it was literally a few days before the festival and Billy was just like, hey, is this doable? And this guy was just like, I just lied. I just said yes, if we work, you know, 18 hours a day, if we just clock some overtime, it is doable. Because he was like, at that point, what the fuck do I tell him? It's clearly like the word of the month, delusional. T minus one day. Now, the night before, as I mentioned, the rain starts pouring down, mattresses are soaked, and everybody kind of said, like, they were in this delirious state. They just started laughing, because they're like, fuck, everything is just gone. It's just, yep, let just tomorrow come and let's see what hits us, because this is such a shit show. Few days after... They have this meeting that was also like broadcasted at Fire Media and they just compare this. This is such like a shit show company. They compare it. They're like, no, no, this is definitely not a scam. Basically, you just hear Jarul talk and everybody else is silent. Billy is like in the shadows trying to hide and just looking down. And Jarul is like, well, guess what? Samsung is still selling phones and the reports are that their screen breaks. Yes, okay, I, I, I get you. I try, I'm trying to get your logic, but... Samsung has a phone to sell in the first place. Like, the phone exists. And they use my favorite fucking phrase of all times. I fucking hate this phrase more than any other. So this is probably going to be your episode title, okay? They say, like, there's no such thing as bad PR. Who the fuck told people? How did this phrase originate? Somebody please explain this to me. What does this phrase really mean? How is there no such thing as bad PR? Somebody calls Jar out, hey, well, this is a fraud, and he's like, no, 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 it's just false advertising. Few more days after that, they have an all-hands meeting. The corporate companies have all-hands. It's basically just a meeting with everybody in the company, where they, you know, just reiterate the mission of the company, they just bullshit the goals for this period, the Q1 to Q4, and it's just, yeah. 
It's just such a great experience. You should all fucking witness all hands. This is when Billy basically tells people he's not going to let them go, but there won't be a payroll for some time. So somebody's just like, okay, so what? We can't even have like unemployment benefits. Like, can I fucking quit? It's like, thanks for not firing me, but then like, how do I get paid? Pretty much that's the case of a fire festival. Now let's dive into background and see how the little baby Billy became a scammer. They say Billy was almost born into this shit, I ain't joking. Like, when he was 13, he started doing this fucking business tricks. So, at the age of 13, he founded an online outsourcing startup that would match clients with web designers. Then he went to high school, and you know how your high school friends would describe you, you know, as like lively, bubbly person, friendly with everybody? His friend described him as this person that told that line of whether it was a scheme or legitimate, whatever he was doing. Because when he was at Pingree, he started running an overseas server operation, renting out server space to various websites, most of it porn. It's like a sleazebag, you just knew, it was a douche. He started uni, started studying computer engineering, but dropped out in his freshman year. And by the time he entered the uni, he was already into his next project, which was called Spling. And this was a social media site that allowed users to share music and video and form circles of friends based on their common interests. So like, okay, cool. Sounds great. The Spring got actually into this accelerator program, so it was like great for him. But then guess what happened? Google Plus. Did Google Plus ever happen? Not really, but it was still Google, okay, over Billy McFarland. <laughs> I put his constantly trampled. Such bad luck. You can almost feel bad for him. I also put, they always have a history. This is that bad childhood grounds for serial killers. Just with rich white people, it's called opportunities. Wow, round of applause. <laughs> so because Google trampled him here in 2014, he starts this community-oriented payment tool, which was kind of like a Monzo Plus. So basically, if you don't know about Monzo, it's... Uh, this like online banking but like you can get like deals and discounts but the plus bit was that they would also be able to go and have like events at like a clubhouse community events you know like wine tasting and like have some exclusive offers and uh, guess who is his co-founder Jarul you guessed it the name of this company was Magnesis, which, as he later told the New York Post reporter, is Latin for absolutely nothing. The name is made up, but it sounds grand, doesn't it? Now, of course, people called it out that it sounds like a brand of condoms, and not just like any brand of condoms, okay, Maya would add. It sounds like that brand that you would purchase, you know, to like, as a code word, to hide that you have like a small ween. If you're at a shop counter and you're like flirting with a girl behind you because you're not a gentleman enough to let her pass, but you can flirt with her and you're like, pack of magnesis, please. The girl just immediately knows like... You're covering up the fact that you have a small penis. And she's just like, bye, bye. So how did this Magnesis make business? Well, he would basically, again, extortion them. They would pay 250 a year for basically absolutely nothing. For, like, appearances and to have, like, a cool black metal card. Because, you guessed it, there were no fucking events. In the end, you know, he just had to cancel a bunch of them. Sorry, guys. <laughs> a pattern. This next bit, though, reminds me so much of the interviews of one of my companies. I wouldn't advise you looking me up on LinkedIn, but if you do, and if you look up the companies, check out the one with the lowest glass door review, and that's the one. <laughs> so to get the card, you will need to have an interview. 
Then they would go do a Google check on you. And then you would have an interview with like a clubhouse with them. And obviously, you know, after the meeting, they would decide like, oh, are you cool? You know, and how loaded you are at the same time. So like my previous company used to do these wash-ups, which sounds dirty, doesn't it? And that is because it was very dirty. So God forbid you would apply internally, because they would immediately, like, they would interview be all nice, and then um, at the wash-up they would just discuss between each other, like, do you have any friends on the team? Do you socialize with your friends outside the work? Do you go on holidays with them? And if you don't, you're not getting their job. So, of course, the people he chose for this card were the douchiest of the douche. The influencers, people with income of, like, 75k and above, and obviously the red flags were all throughout again because all of the events, all of the trips would get cancelled. They would be like, I'm so sorry, we'll organize something again. And you're like, but what am I paying for? It's <laughs> like his motto, motto of like any interaction with Billy Farland, but what am I paying for? Now I found this like two fun rapid fire facts. Well, one is more fun than the other, really. Uh, remember when I did that rapid fire thanks remember that good times good times so remember Anna Delvey well she crossed paths with Millie McFarland because she apparently stayed at his Soho studio for months after asking to stay only for a few days just imagine the two of them would make such a great couple they're just so eye to eye like just imagine the two of them uniting to scam people that would be scary as fuck though the second rapid fire fact is that he actually managed to profit from the documentaries. Like, how? Isn't there the son of Sam Lowe? What the fuck? So, Hulu actually paid him during the documentary for an interview with the founder of Jerry Media, you know, the fuck Jerry Instagram account? I had a life and how everything con- collides. <laughs> the circle just closes in. So, Hulu paid him for an interview and then he was paid for that whole, like, Netflix documentary, you know, for them to be able to, like, actually record him and follow him around. This is probably how he fucking paid bail. Now, what the fuck motivated this guy? What were his motives? Okay, I think we can agree on one thing. We might think different things, whether he's, like, sociopath, you know, CEO, psychopath, whatever. But this guy is a freaking narcissist. And he just thinks that the rules don't apply to him. Like, this whole time he was justifying anything because of his superiority, because of his importance, because of his business and his background and what he used to do in the past, or just because of desire to succeed. Yeah, let's be legends, guys. I think that's what separates him from the rest of the scammers that I covered. I mean, like, if you think of Elizabeth Holmes, I always go back to her, but I can't cover her to do it as much justice. There's a dropout. They have covered the best, okay? But, like, unlike Holmes, like, Elizabeth Holmes with Theranos might have actually thought, you know, she's saving the world, she was revolutionizing the world, whatever. Billy McFarland was there just for the money. He was just motivated by fucking money and how great he's gonna look. And wanted to profit just by himself without paying anybody else, ever. He never, like, cared about the consequences if he didn't deliver. But let me know if you don't share that opinion. Let me know if you think he is a sociopath or a psychopath or whatever. The fuck? Yeah, let's diagnose this guy. <laughs> he didn't have a degree to, like, cause a fire somewhere. Look at the problems he got into. Let's not diagnose this guy, okay? Let's not be on the same level as him. <laughs> 
As I was editing this episode yesterday, I kind of felt like I, I was missing on something in comparisons between the management of Fire Media and then the management of the company that I said I interned for, because that was, that was years ago, okay, and it was only for a few months. So, of course, I went down the rabbit hole of googling the people that I work for. So I felt like I missed out on something, because obviously the feeling is luckily gone, because it's been years. And I realized that most of them have either disappeared completely from the internet after that, well, I don't want to call it a failure because like just owning a freaking startup, just owning a company at any point should be already a success enough. But that's the thing. That's exactly how you move on from them. Even though those guys were never scammers or anything of that sort. But just like with Billy McFarland, they just left that part in the past. And I noticed that like with every single case that I covered this month, where these people would just leave it behind and it's never like processing anything, learning from your failures, being like, okay, no, this next time, this is how we do it. This is how we run a company. And that's the whole point that all of these people's egos were so fragile that they can't even like look back and be like, hey, this is what we ran for years. We have tried. This is what we have learned. No, you just like immediately move on. <laughs> Serial entrepreneurship. Keep that on the hush hush like it never happened. We are moving on and just then highlighting only the good things from our CV. So it's like, oh, yay, let's highlight that I was a founder. And then I bet those interviews after that when they asked them, okay, so what have you learned from this experience? They'll be like, uh, I mean, I learned how to run a company. Not the point, not the point. Now, before the mini story for this week, I have created a new memory this week and it was fucking terrifying. <laughs> so in my already long ass fucking life, I have witnessed only two traumatic events, only two near deaths. First near death was about a decade ago, so I'm kind of like reminiscing on it, thinking like, what the fuck is gonna happen 10 years from now? What the hell am I going to witness then? Thinking of it, the thing that I've witnessed this week was an actual death. <laughs> what is life? Okay, it's not as traumatic, but it's serious. Okay, listen. This thing from 10 years ago was in Oxford, so I was just like sitting, sipping on a coffee, you know, obviously facing the actual thing, because why not? It's not like it's gonna replay in my head forever and ever, and I'm gonna be scarred for life, and the other person is just gonna be like, what? What happened? So I witnessed this bike accident where the car was just like turning around, and the bike hit it, the cyclist actually flew up in the air over the car, hit the ground with his head, like there was blood gushing everywhere. Yep. The ambulance was called, he survived, but it was just like, I literally had the class in like five minutes after that. Had to, it was the only time ever that I was like late for that class and like, she was like, what the fuck? The teacher was like, you okay? I was like, so let me just tell you about this traumatic thing because I can't get it out of my head. It replays on and on. And of course, the other person has their back turned to it. They just reacted post-mouth. It's like, oh, what? Oh my god. I was like, yeah, bitch, I witnessed this shit. Well, this week, I actually went out to socialize. Shout out to Camilla. She is a listener. <laughs> so it was already traumatic going on the tube, like with a mask. I was like, okay, I cannot the amount of time I'm spending under this mask on a central line is not going well with the amount of air that needs to get into my brain. It just doesn't, it just isn't fluctuating well. But it's cool, you know, we met up drinking like gin and tonic on her balcony. And again, I'm facing the spot of the accident. <laughs> She's actually going to kill me of how much I'm dramatizing this. This is serious, okay? So, there's this pigeon. And pigeons apparently are kind of really dumb and can't see through glass or don't realize that there is like a window there standing. So this pigeon with like full force 
slammed into this window and then fell onto this glass roof of the house next door. And I just witnessed it all. I was like, okay, this ain't good. Then he kind of like, he literally stood up. And I was like, okay, cool, cool, cool. He survived. He's good. He's good. And then he collapsed. And we were both like, okay, this is uh, fucked up. Yes, let's just have a few seconds of silence for this dead pigeon. We actually put him on the ground, like on (laughs) Camilla's balcony. And before that, um, it might just fly away in the morning and everything might be okay. That did not happen. This is my new memory. (laughs) Yay. Few seconds of silence for a dead pigeon, please. Mini story of the week. Let's do this. Guys, I did not forget that I'm ruining your childhood dreams. I did not forget about spoiling fairy tales. But trust me, the story that I'm going rogue with next week needs it more than this week's one, okay? The story I'm bringing you next week is hard. It's tough. So, this week we are doing another boogeyman. This is super fucking interesting. It's like when people convert like a boogeyman into sort of like a mascot of a country and they do festivals, it's in museums, it's like it becomes really important part of their culture. And I was like, this is how it's done. Yes, Japan. We are talking about Namahage. Or as I feel when British people would see this word, they would be like, Namahage. And no, you're wrong. Having British people in a Spanish class was still one of the most scarring things in my fucking life. Just listening to British people pronounce things in my Spanish class, every part of my body was like, no, why do you not pronounce things the way they're read? And the teachers would be encouraging, they'd be like, oh my god, this is great, name it age, yes. No, bitch, pronounce it how it's read, namahage, Japanese people know how to do it, it's not that hard, fuck's sake. Also, while we are at it, explain to me why is wound pronounced wound and hound is pronounced hound when they're technically spelled the exact same way. What is the logic, British people? So, Namahage originated in the northern city of Oga. And it's an ogre-like demon typically used to frighten lazy and badly behaved children into getting their act together. You know, it's a copy-paste because it says getting their act together. Also, this is an expression that they like to me in like probably primary school and shit. And I have never, ever heard people say it here. What you hear people say is like, get your shit together, okay? It's never like a polite version of that expression. But also, when I was researching this, it's so fucking typically Japanese. It's just the way it originates. It originates typically from that Japanese culture of like hard working, yeah, do like 50 hour days. There's no excuse, you can't work from home, go like fucking to the office even during coronavirus. I mean, it's just like, what the fuck? This mentality is like so, <laughs> so distant from me. I've also heard that basically, like, which would be hell on a totally different level because I already hate commuting. During rush hours in Japan, basically, there is a person designated to push you into the freaking metro if you can't even fit. So, like, to maximize the space, which just, just imagine, there's no breathing space. You just literally, like, fucking sardines. I don't know, does the metro operate differently than it does in London? But in London, you have, like, red signals every fucking now and then. Just imagine being stuck in the middle of the tunnel without any breathing space in freaking Japan. <sighs> okay, cool. I don't want to commute ever again. When Namahage was kind of established as like this boogeyman one of the sayings that they used to say was blisters peeled yet directed as a question so namomi the first part of the word kind of signifies blisters and then hidako is kind of like a rash you get if you are exposed to the fire or sitting for like a long time 
and it's believed the word derives from these two words. Again, how positive. It's like you're sitting on your ass the whole day, not doing anything. You're having like this fire rush feeling. Trust Japanese to make it all about the laziness. It's like every other boogeyman. Yeah, you're too long, you're spending too much time on the streets, walking the streets and you know, just uh, we're scared for your life, so we're using a big boogeyman. Um, Japanese people being like, no, you're at home, not doing fuck all, can you do something? Can you go out in the streets or Namahag is gonna get you? So right now, this is a local tradition. There's a Namahaga festival, which was born as this like creative way for the parents to threaten the children into behaving. And it's still one of the most hilarious like spectacles to see in Japan. Where is the legend? Where does the legend come from? So to drive the Namahaga out of the area, the villagers hatched this plan. They promised to give up all the young women in the village. If these ogres could build like a massive stone staircase overnight, but if they failed, they are to leave Oga for good. And once the villagers realized that they're actually going to complete this, they were almost done, one of them imitated the sounds like of the rooster's crow, so tricking the Namahaga into believing that morning had come and that they had failed to complete the task. So they had to leave the city of Oga, never to be seen again. Except for the New Year's Day, and this is when they come, according to what the children believe because Japanese people just do New Year's Day fucking differently. Oh, what do they look like when they come on the New Year's Day? Well, just all innocently nice, you know, carrying knives that are sort of massive exercise, you know, casually having ogre masks, just uh, knocking door to door, interrogating families, asking are there any naughty kids around? You know, are there any lazy daughters-in-law here? This is, this is an actual quote. <laughs> It's just like they're not their kids. Daughters-in-law are not their own children. What are we talking about? The next part is making me laugh because they also carry a naughty or nice book. Like, what is this? Mean Girls Burn book. What is this shit? How does this? How is this westernized? I'm sorry. Or does a mean book come from Namahage? <laughs> and here they note down notes offered by the parents on how they want the children to behave better so that next new year, you know, they don't have to snatch their children away. <laughs> what? The parenting styles around the world different. After they manage to, you know, knock on the door, terrify your kids, usually the head of the household kind of gives them like, well, not a gift, but like kind of like, hey, let's appease you, you know, let's calm you down. And they give them sake and mochi, which are like rice cakes, and send them away. Yet again, because this is Japan, not only kids are terrified of Namahage, adults shouldn't be safe from their presence either. Often, newlywed couples are probed and are expected to divulge all the evil deeds they're guilty of during their first year together. They're also obliged to offer sake and food to the Namahage before sending them away. Uh, I have a feeling this is just like a plot of... <laughs> this is like the, the fucking Japanese trick-or-treat. It's like, feed the beast, please, and the beast, the beast will leave you alone. So the models of these creatures, you know, are still, especially in that, in that particular area, but there's still museums, there's like souvenir shops, and it's still a ritual that happens every new year. Hey, guess what? Where you should go this new year? Huh? Huh? Maybe? Maybe? I just googled it, and it's basically like miles away from Tokyo, but like, it is such a small region, but they're obsessed with this. They fucking have it everywhere, like on the beaches. It's like, it's a nice place. It's a nice place to go. It's like they have it in the beach. They have like shit ton of those figures in the museums. It's their shit, okay? It's like a small village fucking boogeyman. Don't ever put some disrespect to that name, man. Those are the cases for you this week. Which ones do you want me to cover? 
What boogeyman would you like me to cover? What did you think about Fire Festival? Is Billy McFarland a serial scammer? Is he gonna scam next? Most definitely yes, you don't even have to answer that. Okay. It's more like, who is he gonna scam next? Or like, what is his next project gonna be like? Do we think he's going to make even more profit out of this whole experience? Is he gonna write a book how to survive jail time? Will he work with Ja Rule again? You know where to hit me up, you know where to find me, podbam at gmail.com or that bam pod on all the socials or Patreon as well. By all the socials, I mean Twitter and Instagram. I don't really trust Facebook like that. <laughs> Speaking of things, not trusting people, you're going to your next Zoom call with your lovely colleagues that you love and respect. <laughs> this week... You know how people always ask you what is the worst piece of advice that you have ever received? This week, go into that fucking meeting and, you know, before anybody even starts chatting, like, oh, goals for this week, like, sorry, I just have an interlude here. What is the worst advice that you have given yourself? (laughs) Personally, I have been thinking about this the whole week and it's much much harder to answer that type of question you know if you tell me like what's the worst advice you have been given i can talk for hours i can be like you need to wear a bra you need to look more presentable in public you need to write nicer and neatly who the fuck cares (laughs) you need to be more professional you can't just swear in public you know like you you can't like you need to like professionalize yourself please you know just like convert yourself into something you're completely not and I'm just like nodding, like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. It just evaporates from my head and I just move on with my life like nothing ever happened. Or usually, as I mentioned on this pod, the advice that people give me is like, yeah, read this book, it will change your life. Really, though? I've read The Alchemist. Has my life changed? Has everything conspired to, you know, make this podcast work and make it number one on the charts? I don't think so. I don't think so, Coelho. Like, please, can you elaborate more on that? But if you ask me to think, like, what is the worst advice that I have personally given... It would probably be to give people chances to like prove themselves and be like, yeah, you know, just based on like the first experiences when people meet, I'm like, yeah, don't trust first experiences fully, which, okay, don't trust them fully, but don't just neglect the whole fucking first experience. If your gut feeling screams like they're a freak, they're probably a freak. Also, the one that I have said on this podcast like multiple times that you should definitely judge a person and stop being friends with them <laughs> if they recommend you a shitty book or a shitty movie. Maybe that's an exaggeration, you know, leave it a couple of books and a couple of movies and then judge their character. Then maybe it was just a mishap. Maybe they just felt it on the moment. Maybe they were on their period. <laughs> they had their period brain while they read that book. So, yes, you this week, my man. <laughs> Why do I why do I say this shit? Think about what is the worst advice you have ever given to anybody. Best advice I have given to people? Easy, easy. I do it every single week for 25 episodes now. <laughs> you know where this is going. You know what the best advice is. Keep making the world a better place. One motive at a time. Bye, fuckers. Yes, Zuna, give it to the people. Do we hear each other? Is this okay? Let me see. Let me see.
Yeah, we good? No? Silent? Too silent. I think this is too silent. Okay, microphone. What do I need to do to you? Why are you silent? Why are you silent, microphone? Why are you silent? God, I lost it. <laughs> okay, hello, hello. Test. Testicle. Testicle? Testicles. Testicles? Testicles. <laughs> testicle. 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 And you are now looped into yet another episode of BAM. What are you still doing here? Why do you listen to the end of the song of the episode? You know it's the end. Just just kidding, just kidding. You're the real OGs. <laughs> bye now. No, no, seriously, bye for real this time, okay?